we were a pretty good match made in heaven for a little while. And then all this came along and I laughed and I didn't want to. I love Sean. I really do. But it forced me into a decision I've been sitting on the fence with for about a decade, which is doing this thing because I had to pay bills. I was on a temporary leave. So a smaller company, the owner's been the president. I, I always tell this story. When this started, Jordan, I, I stood up on my soapbox and I went on LinkedIn and I shared a video that I said, there's layoffs happening. I am the first to go. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. Mark, thanks for coming on the It's Not a Straight Line podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm honored. And, uh, you know, for those that don't know, when I was early in my career at IMG, I, I gave Mark a call when he was vice president of sales and marketing at the printing house. And you gave me the time of day. And I think ever since then, that meant a lot to me. And I've followed your career since and really looked at um, what you've done, whether it's on social or where you've moved around in your career. So, you know, I really appreciated that. So thank you. Well, thanks, man. That, that means a lot. I appreciate that. And you're a Habs fan, so that makes it. And I'm a and I'm a Habs fan. Always, okay, that's really what this is all about. I mean, to kick it off, you know, I, I did hear a little bit about your education at, at Concordia in your first podcast, and you know, but I, I'd love to know what, what did you think you were going to do with your career, and what were kind of the early influences, and if you want to go into it, what ty- what type of student were you? Yeah, happy to share from. A- <laughs> Let's start with the real tough one, right? You might lose some listeners right away because it's not overly inspiring when it comes to my days and my studies, but I was a terrible student. Uh, I really was. I uh, I got by enough to continue to play on my college volleyball team, took an extra semester at CJEP. So in Quebec, you go to CJEP after high school at grade 11. You're supposed to finish in four semesters. I took five so I could play another semester of college volleyball. And uh, I didn't work hard enough at studies. I was an average student at best. And when things got tough, because I didn't put in the work, I wasn't successful. So I'm one of those guys that would tell you, you don't need calculus in life, because I couldn't pass it. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it's not because I don't think there's some value somewhere of knowing your derivatives and antiderivatives. I just, I didn't have the discipline to finish it. And it's a stage in my life that, you know, I enjoyed all of those kinds, but I'm a little embarrassed that I Maybe I could have got off to a different start in my discipline and learning. But I think not doing it because I held a little bit of that shame forced me to look at my career differently and really focus on learning and really read books and watch videos and take training because I knew that was, you know, nagging at me. So I, I graduated CJEP. I went on to university. I went to Concordia because I couldn't get into McGill. And I, and I know that's not the same anymore, but like at that time, that was the stigma and, and it was true. I took political science because I was interested in politics. I, I certainly was. I didn't want to be a politician, I knew, but I knew I was interested in politics. So anyways, started going through that. Quickly realized that I took some electives in management and, and really liked that because I was doing that uh, in retail job. Did not graduate university, had seven credits left and went on to start working. So yeah, student, not so great. Lesson learned, absolutely. 
So, I mean, in terms of your career, we'll get into it. We'll get into the lessons and probably some specific areas. But, you know, you went from Concordia to the retail world with Champ Sports, Athletes World, Roots. You went, you did some time with TELUS and then worked at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which I'm sure we'll get into, as well as then off to the printing house and then within the real estate building construction. I do want to come to something as we're speaking about your education. I heard you say... Richard Petty asked you, uh, who's the former CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, he asked you about that experience at Cordia and being seven, seven courses short. And you said, you know, there might be some embarrassment or past embarrassment about it. Do you remember what it was like explaining that? And do you have any advice for anybody that, you know, has, has any shame around what school they went to or their background and, and just really might have the skills to do the jobs that's going to get the job done at the end of the day? Yeah, I think what you want to do is you want to be absolutely transparent, first of all, acknowledge the, the shortfall. And I think you stand out when you acknowledge what that shortfall did for you and helped you become a stronger person or leader. And then accentuate the positives that set you up for the job that you've learned and experienced that you wouldn't have got in university. So for Richard, as an example, I had him on my podcast a few weeks ago. And until that podcast, I had no idea that Richard had flunked out of high school. Richard Petty didn't graduate from high school. Now, he went back. He's got a university degree. But in his first stage through life, he wasn't successful at high school. And I thought, wow. And so back to your question about how to deal with that, I think where I connected with Richard, although he didn't acknowledge it at the time, you know, on my resume, I put Concordia University and I put seven credits outstanding. So I was open and honest. It forces the question in the interview because they've seen all the experience and I addressed it. I'd like to go back one day. I kind of went off to make some money and run a sports store. And I think the valuable learning I've made along the way at becoming, you know, a store manager, an area manager, running TELUS Mobility's corporate stores. I think those are all the things that are going to line me up to be a really good director of consumer products in your company. And I really accentuated the tools I could bring in that I knew they didn't have as a disciplined retailer. And so, yeah, address it, but explain the positives from that learning experience. And as you look back to your beginning of your career, and obviously it was in retail, and I've spoken with a few people on, you know, where they think great careers or starting jobs are for building those skills, whether it's that those leadership skills, it's empathy, connections, relationships, all those things that really matter now. Maybe could you could you touch on that? What do you think your jobs in those retail environments taught you? And I know you do have kids, but what do you think those those great jobs are to kind of build a foundation? Or even you've hired a ton of people. So what do you think sets people apart? Yeah, and, I, and I'll even step one step back before retail. One of the best jobs I've ever had for training was as a 16-year-old kid working at McDonald's in St. Bruno, Quebec. I quickly realized that they had this model to make everybody feel included, yet there was a clearly defined operational model to make sure every rush period people got served, waste was controlled, and they did all that by giving everybody station training, right? And so you literally had a trainer who walked you through the fries, had the piece of paper, do you know how to hold the basket at the 45-degree angle, do you know how long to hold it there, do you know the temperature of the fryer, do you know how many fries... And it was really, really interesting because it stuck with me because I'd go on and work in bigger organizations and they didn't have that disciplined behavioral training. And they wonder why people failed. Well, how do you hold someone accountable to a job they don't know how to do? 
Well, some organizations say, here's the KPI, you don't get the numbers, you must suck. Well, time out. Maybe I'm willing, maybe I'm really talented and all I have is a skill gap. And if you can teach me as a leader, then hold me accountable. And so I learned that out of McDonald's and then I saw it in retail because retail was the next stage. And, you know, if you're in a good retail location, the manager does coaching with you weekly and they talk about the behaviors and they talk about your KPIs, your average sale, your items per transaction, your accessories. But the good managers distance themselves by doing it relative to the behaviors. It's not, hey, I want your average sale at $119 per transaction. It's, hey, I'm looking at your numbers this week. You're at 116. You're off by three bucks. Let's talk about average transaction. How do you think we can move that upwards? Well, I think blah, blah. Okay. And, and so how do we add on in the sale? What kind of questions are you asking, Mark? Maybe I can give you that's coaching and developing that you see in retail relative to number and behaviors that quite frankly, this is going to sound really bad. The more senior positions I went into in bigger organizations, the less they do it. That's super interesting. And and there's and they, and they wonder why they have low employee engagement and high level of churn. Do you remember any leaders you had back then that really held the morale together in a retail environment? Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to work for a couple. Um, one was a gentleman who I'm trying to get on my podcast that I've known my entire life. Another Habs fan, by the way, Jordan. Um, his name is Mark McRae. He's a VP um, for one of the big... Um, wholesale brands in Canada and athletic. I, I don't know if he's still there. That's why I don't want to mention the brand, but Mark was amazing at it. So what he do as a district manager, he wasn't even our store manager. So think Champs is one store in Quebec at this time. And then they're in the rest of the country. And they're called Champion Spa, not Champs because of the French sign law. This DM from Waterdown, Ontario, that nobody in the South Shore of Montreal knows where Waterdown is, comes in and has this ability to connect with the staff on a busy Saturday. And how does he do it? He gets on the floor and he observes behaviors. So when he's recognizing us doing a job well done, we don't feel like it's just him having our back. We know he watched. We know we saw specifically what we did. And he gave us positive feedback that allowed us to repeat the behavior and drive value. He'd also be that same person when we were stuck and we said, man, like I get it that maybe in Ontario you sell a lot of Toronto Maple Leaf starter jackets. But like, I know we're the only Quebec store, but like, we need hab stuff, man. We just won the cup. It's 93. And he was the, he had the ability to feel our pain, recognize us specifically. And so the way I'd summarize that, I talk about this in some of my training. He knew how to build an emotional bank account in a very difficult environment for people to work when it's busy. I like that. The emotional bank account. That's key. I want to uh, jump to when you got that call that there could be another job when you were at TELUS. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the Montreal Canadiens, but it was the Maple Leafs. Maybe one day. I'm sure you'll get the GM call sometime soon. When, yeah, but, I hope uh, so. What were the things you were thinking as you were moving from, like, say, say TELUS to MLSE? And because it was one of the most admired sports franchises, did you have any fears? Were there any challenges starting? Did you have any of that imposter syndrome? Do you remember back to those to those days? Yeah, I can actually, and it's a great question, and it takes me back to a to a really cool time. To answer the first part of the question, I was sitting in a parking lot at Devonshire Mall in Windsor, Ontario, visiting one of my store managers' locations for Telus, and I got a call. And it was the recruiter 
Uh, his name was Colin Carmichael, a small firm in Mississauga. And he's like, listen, there's a client who wants to talk to you about being their director of consumer products. Meanwhile, I will tell you today, still to this day, some of the best leaders I've ever worked for in my life were Lisa, Lisa Larder and Jackie Fu at TELUS Mobility. And the entire structure around development at TELUS is, is incredible, the investment they put in their people. Having said that, so I said, no, I'm pretty happy. And they're like, oh, it's a pro sports team. And I kind of went, whoa, okay, well, hold on. I got to listen to this one because I'm, I'm a big fan and why not? Um, and then they told me it was the Toronto Maple Leafs. I listened anyways. <laughs> uh, no, but, I, but, but you know, once they explained the role and the, and the recruiter explained the position, I knew I could go in and add value. So there was no intimidation because at that point, you know, they were more of a souvenir shop with licensing control than a retailer. And so I knew I could go in there and have an impact and I knew my leadership style. So at that point, the Air Canada Centre is predominantly all the game night staff are unionized. And I was told that they were about to form a union at Centre Sports. I went in, sure enough, I was there two weeks. They, they, they formed the union. The Teamsters came in and were able to certify. And I was asked what I was going to do about it. And I said, we're going to lead. I don't care if they're with the union or not. We're going to lead these people. And we're going to treat the team like they're part of the business. And so as that transition happened, there's no intimidation. I'm now fired up to say, hey, we're going to do this the right way. And if we treat them right, who cares whether they're a union? They've decided to pay dues because they weren't feeling protected. God bless them. Let them go. Well, sure enough, this never happens in Ontario. But that union decertified. You can't have anything to do with it as an employer. It has to come from the bargaining unit. You cannot influence it in any way. I get a card on the golf course at the MLSE tournament from Richard Petty that says, congratulations, decertified 39 to 1. And I'm like, wow, what are we even talking about? Like, <laughs> But I brought in a guy by the name of Glenn Knight. I brought in other people who would come in and they would do exactly what Mark McRae did for me. The reason I share that background is I knew I could bring all that stuff, union, no union, I just knew I could add value. So there was no intimidation there. What I worried about, I'm an impatient guy. I still am to this day. I want to grow. I want to learn. And I wanted to become a president. I didn't want to be the director of consumer products at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Unlike 99% of people who apply there, they really want to work for the Leafs. That was never my desired state. I wanted to learn, work somewhere where I could have an impact and learn. And what I worried about is, I don't know how to put on a concert. Um, I don't know how the guys make guys and gals make ice and convert. How am I ever going to have Bob Hunter's job when I don't know any of this stuff? So that was the intimidating part for me was how am I ever going to get to that next level? And luckily, I worked for a guy like Bob who saw the transferable skill set from a leadership perspective and made me believe I could go and do his job. And that was it pretty much there. That was the only intimidation I had was the functional knowledge I had to learn. One of the things I think would be really helpful for any listeners that I think you've been great at that I heard in uh, your first podcast episode, which is called uh, Lessons in Leadership, the little podcast, you seem to get some great mentors around you. And mentorship's an interesting thing because it's not something you kind of go and meet someone and say, hey, can you be my mentor? And, and maybe after you have a certain amount of time as a relationship, you might do that. But how were you able to get people like Bob Hunter to really mentor and want to groom you? Um, I'm sure even to this day, you said Lisa Larder reached out to you who you knew from TELUS about your new business. How do you think about mentorship? And how, how do you advise people to get the right people around them to help them grow? 
Yeah, I I think, and, and I'm with you, you know, it's hard to go out there and say, I want you to be my mentor. And it's even harder for someone to accept that as the ask if there's not a level of trust and mutual respect. And the reason Bob Hunter is still a mentor to me today, I was not easy for Bob to manage. You know, when I say I was impatient, I was like, well, listen, I'm the best director in the company. So why am I not a general manager now? Like, I, that's literally the chip I had on my shoulder and I had the data to back it up. I had the results. I was nominated for coach of the year in the company. I got positive employee. So I was like, no, no, no. But the mentorship came out of, you know, it was two ways. He had the ability to say, Mark, like I get it, but you really don't know these. Let me show you the gaps and let me train you. So all of a sudden there's someone I trust because he's demonstrated the behavior. So now I want you as a mentor. The flip side he sees the effort and he sees a guy who normally had a big chip on his shoulder kind of get humble a little bit and go, okay, I got to, I'm going to learn from this guy. I'm going to trust him. So it really comes around trust. And then what happened is if you build a tight enough relationship where you respect each other and you add value for each other, that carries on. I left MLSE because I wasn't growing. I wanted to be a president. I wasn't going to become sales and marketing at MLSE because the way the business is split, it's different there. The facilities are kind of the facility guys. And the property guys are the property guys, right? And I hope that's changed, but it was really hard to leap over from one side of another. It was a little clicky at that time. Having said that, you know, I knew if, if I was going to be able to grow to the president role, I needed the gaps from an executive perspective of marketing. So I left. And before I left, I had just received an elite performance review. I sat down with Bob and I said, like, I want to grow. And he looked me and I, where do you want me to put you? Because there's nowhere to go but my job. Because at that point, I was now general manager of BMO Field, Rico, and I was a mini Bob doing his job in smaller facilities. And his role was next. Well, Bob just retired from there a year and a half ago. So where would my career have gone? But back to the mentorship, that guy never stopped connecting with me and vice versa. We couldn't go two, three months without saying, you know, how are Mary and the kids? How's Jody? Let's go have a beer and let's connect. And, and we'd go back and forth. I would say, forget about mentorship. Call it mutual respect and the desire to continue to want to check up on one another. It's got to come from somewhere or it's there's no motivation. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is that mutual respect. And I think that even when a younger person, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough that I have had senior people or people a lot older than me that I grab beers with or grab a coffee with and I think I've always tried to bring some value or they'll ask me, you know, what do you think? And I'll always try and understand their business and have some background on it. So I think it is that mutual respect and, you know, it's never really a one way street, right? And, and people always remember where, who helped them along the way as well. Yeah. And I think people, I think sometimes people underestimate their leaders and they think they're not people, they don't have emotions and they, and they don't need to discuss their perspective on things with people they trust. You know, Bob and I had some pretty honest conversations about leadership changes in the company and philosophy, and, and I'll leave those between him and I, and, and, and not Bob is not a negative person, if you know Bob Hunter. You're, you're not going to get him saying anything negative about anybody in the world. But as he was transitioning through all those changes and reporting to new leaders and having different business objectives, I was someone he could talk to about it, knowing that, you know, I, I'll support your opinion and I'll challenge it. So it's, it's really a two-way street. I agree with you. It is a two-way street. So you're at MLSE. Um, you helped bring the Marleys into Rico Coliseum, if I have it correct. 
And I think one of the biggest things I found super exciting about your career, and there's lots to get excited about, but was being the employee number one for BMO Field. You had to lead this building to get it done on time, on budget. And I think it ended up being like 800 or 1,000 employees. Can you touch on anything that truly didn't go to plan? Or (laughs) is there a challenge that really sticks out to you where you think the strategies you use through that can help other people? Yeah, I will will tell you, and I'm happy to share. There's a couple that, that stand out. Um, first of all, in the Marley's thing, uh, actually, I have to give full credit to Chris Gibbs and Tom and Selmy um, and Jimmy Edmonds at the time. They are the guys that kind of brought, and of course, under Richard's leadership and Ian Clark as the CFO, the Marley's were in Toronto and Gibbs was running both sides of the business. And then they realized they needed him to focus on sales and they gave me the facility to oversee food and beverage contracts, merchandise, etc. But yes, I was the first at BMO Field. And the way I got through that was, again, Bob Hunter. Like, I can't say enough. Like, I, when I did my podcast with him, I started to tear up a little bit. I felt really embarrassed because I, I wanted him to know how much he meant. Not, you know, you think about your career, but having the career I have had has allowed me to provide things for my family that if I never would have run into that man, who knows if I would have got there. And so, you know, the story of Bob Hunter is, yeah, he carried me on his shoulders, but you never saw him. So in everyone else's eyes, Mark's doing this great job, a rookie GM opening up a soccer stadium in Toronto. Bob's holding my hand with PCL. He's following through on my Gantt chart every week when I'm not hitting a, a timeline for a delivery, or he's helping me with the officials at the city because the BMO was owned by Exhibition Place. So we had to follow their RFP procedures. Like he was really closing the gaps for me. So again, I, I share full kudos to Bob on that one. Having said that, there are a couple lessons that I'm happy to share. Uh, I laugh, but it was really embarrassing. But I learned so much. So BMO Field, we're under the gun. It's uh, 13 months from when we put the shovel in the ground to when we opened, you know, and, and I had come up with this cool idea of let's do a trial event and let's have the Kansas City game away in the stadium. Let's give all the season seat holders $12 food coupons so we can test out our concessions, get everybody in the stadium and watch the game outside. So I think that's a great idea. Of course I do, because I came up with it. But (laughs) we go through the event. We get over it. Everybody's excited. We've had a good day. There's some momentum. The next day we come in, and the bolts start falling from the stands. And I'm talking like these big, huge bolts. The company out of, I believe it was Kentucky at the time, whoever the contractor was, didn't double bolt them and secure them properly through their automated process. And these things were falling while people were walking through the stands. Like we could have had a serious incident. So Bob kind of gives me some feedback. I go back to my team, Curtis and Vince and and Jody at the time and Jamie. And I just had an amazing steam staff and CJ and Chad. I could go on. Anyways, and these people are busting their home and they're all behind the cause of doing this. Jordan, we have the end of the second day after that event. I'm not seeing things get corrected fast enough. So I bring everyone into my office at 11 at night after they've been there since 8 in the morning, and I friggin' ream them out. I tell them they should be embarrassed. If they won't want to come back, they better get a good night's sleep and come back to actually do something that's going to have an impact the next day. They leave my office. I literally start the ball. It's just literally the stress at that point. I'm a rookie. I, I think I've had responsibility in my career, but man, this is like a lot more people. This is high profile. 
And so I come home and I'm thinking to myself, what do I do? So I get everybody in my office the next morning and I apologize. I just start with a simple apology. Here's the behaviors that weren't acceptable. This is what I did. It's an embarrassment. It's shitty leadership. You don't deserve it. And if you don't want to follow my lead anymore, I would completely understand. But do you trust me? And so we had that out. And then, you know, we, we continued to go through the event. And uh, I, I regained the trust back. But again, it was it was how am I dealing with this pressure? I'm new, right? Like a store budget or a district budget is different than an event that's being watched on TV. And you've got a million corporate partners and you've got the teams and you've got the facility staff and you've got all these people you want to satisfy in an event. And, and I wasn't handling the stress well. Learn from it. Apologize. Well, you would think if you learned the lesson and you apologize, you've got everyone's trust if you don't do it again. Well, a few weeks later, we're host FIFA under 20s. Chile and Argentina decide to get in a brawl at the end of the game. Police officers are uh, pepper spraying players because players are punching female police officers. It's an international event. The Prime Minister of Chile has demanded a public apology from the Prime Minister of Canada. And Mark Pettipaw is under his desk in the fetal position. Okay, my guy, Bob Hunter's in Houston at the All-Star for MLS with Vince, uh, my second in hand at that point, who went on to be the GM of the stadium. And I am freaking out. And I am now I'm pissed because I'm mad at the CSA that they're not demanding that FIFA suspend them. And if you know anything about the back end of FIFA, some of their reputation is well-deserved. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. They do what's best for FIFA, and that's it. They didn't care that I was worried about crowd control issues the next day if Chile actually played. They didn't because their fans were really ticked about what happened in that game and the way the players were treated. Of course, they weren't hearing the whole story. So what are they going to do when they show up at the gates? And how am I going to keep them out? And anyways, long story short, I have this another meltdown, uh, but this time not yelling at any staff, more me not being able to handle the moment. But again, I learned from it. I acknowledged it. You know, Bob, like, what would you have done if you were here? Like, TV cameras are rolling and, and they're destroying our dressing rooms. And, and Argentina's like dancing. Further on in the gold medal game, Argentina wins and they're dancing on the goalposts. Okay, at BMO Field, we only have one set of nets for the MLS game the following day. <laughs> what, what am I going to do? I can't get quick goal to get me a $3,000 soccer net here. That, like, so just how I handled the stress and pressure was those failures in my career, but they made me so much stronger. When I, when I do eventually show a leadership behavior that I shouldn't, I recognize it early so I can correct the behavior before it happens. And I've gone out of my way since that day to make sure the people who make the results happen know they're those people. The best moment of my career, just sidebar, and I'll, I'll finish with that long, long question. When we finished the under 20 gold medal, um, I still remember this to this day, Sharon Ballenbach, a ball and back, Trish, who were like kind of this the CSA event local organizing committee. Well, she was national organizing. They had Beam overseeing the event. Jody, Vince, Kurt, myself. The game's over. The stress is over. We break out into Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. At center field, just the six of us standing around singing. Just, <laughs> you know, because you get through those things together and we all learn together. So, yeah, those those are a couple big failures that, you know, were actually successes because they taught me to be a little more appreciative of people. And so how old were you at this time, if you don't mind, when you were like under your desk stressed? Yeah, I was a 
34 year old. So now when you go through some of those stressful situations, what do you do? What are some of the things you do to handle it differently? Are you a big proponent of working out? I see that you do a lot of cooking. Uh, are you a big proponent? Are you someone who needs a lot of sleep? Like what are the things you try to do to make sure you're at your sharpest during those yeah, stressful times? Yeah, I like that you open your show with like, you know, people have to understand that it doesn't happen, happen right away and it's not a straight line. Well, the value in that is all the experience you learn that's going to make you prepared when it's the most important moment. So I find the way I've gotten better at it is just by going through those experiences. Like I had to go through those difficult moments in my career and hyper and fail and fall down. That's what's allowed me now to see it earlier, to be way more cognizant, to read the signs, to know, Mark, it's now you go walk, take a breather. And I still once in a while still need to vent to somebody like we're all we're humans. We're always evolving and, and we're never an expert at anything. But that's kind of how I manage it now. But to your point, personally, yeah, I, I, I try and try and work out three, four days a week and no, and you know, and it's working now because it's no longer about being noticed. It's about being healthy. And I know it's such a important balance for my mental health to be exercising. So I do a lot of that. I'm trying to eat better. Your point of cooking, I actually have never cooked till I was like now. And I figured while I'm at home during, you know, the lockdown is when this started back in March. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and pick up cooking. I'm gonna learn a new skill. And so I started a little cooking with Mark on my Facebook page and I'm pulling recipes off of Google. But again, to your earlier point, just about balancing the stress. I mean, it's, it's an unheard of, it's a once in century time. And, and now I'm going through it as a parent. So again, an un, a new situation. How do I keep the kids safe? How do I keep my safe? My father-in-law has diabetes. He's a immunocompromised. Stress, stress, stress. And so, yeah, you got to find all those outlets. And cooking had to be another one that I could bring in to just have some fun. Life's too short, man. And I haven't been able to say this yet without crying, so I'll apologize. Losing my dad and my brother in the same year was a kick in the you-know-what. And it just gave me a new filter on life. Not that I was not having a good filter before, but it accelerated knowing what's important and just wanting to be around. And so i got to take care of myself. If I want to be here for my kids and, and I want to smile and laugh and enjoy life, and that's why I started my own business. For sure. and. You know, this podcast, I had Alyssa Hayes on. I just promoted it on LinkedIn. She's one of my closest family friends. She's like a cousin to me. And we really got into, you know, her own health struggles and what that, how she was resilient beyond that. And, you know, I can imagine for you using, losing your dad and your brother in that same year, that's not something you expected. Like talk about, it's not a straight line. Like, mm -hmm. and, and so I guess that, that seems to have changed some of your perspective on your career and life, I assume. Yeah, I think I think my mom implemented that, you know, ingrained that into me when I was young because she really wanted to make sure everyone was happy, enjoy things. And she was very, you know, she reiterated that message through her life. And I lost her quite a while ago. Um, but that was already in me. Um, I think dad and Steve were the wake-up call. Like, dude, you, you are not going to be here forever. So for me, it, it left me with two things. Enjoy every moment. Try and stick around, right? So like, I don't smoke. Let's cut back on the beers on weekends. Let's eat healthy um, and, and do what I can control. So that was number one. Number two, I got to tell you, and people think I'm corny when I say this, I really believe I can change mental health in Canada's workplaces. I really think if I can impact more leaders and teach them how to lead people, people can leave happier lives because we spend half our life at work 
And sorry, Jordan, if I insult anyone who's listening to this, but there are too many shitty leaders running companies right now who don't know how to treat people and still get success. They can get success, but they can only do it by tearing people down, not building them up because they're not talented enough leaders to do both. I'm trying to change that. I've seen them too much of it. Pisses me off. Well, and I love that mission because um, I've always loved your leadership message. Thought it's been great. And I, I tend to comment on things like that on LinkedIn. And I, I see you all the time commenting it on it. And And somebody recently posted, he works for an marketing agency, how he had a discussion with someone about the whole thing around, do you have to have a title to lead? And I just said, you know, and we were both going back and forth and agreeing with leadership can come from anywhere. And and I really believe, and I think this is the message you share too, without putting words into your mouth, I really believe leading with empathy is going to be such a way of the future. And, and I think people like you can change mental health uh, in Canada because your job has a direct effect on that. Yeah, and we uh, need we need all of us to do that, right? As, as you're progressing through your career, that stuff needs to matter to you. And all the leaders who sit there and say, okay, I've been a shitty leader for 20 years. Someone teach me how. That matters. The more we can scale, the more we can change the world. I'll tell you, I, I get off on this rant. Maybe I shouldn't have started, but look what we have to look up at leadership in the world today outside of our workplaces. It's friggin' scary. Nobody trusts anything anymore. Everything's fake news. Everything's a conspiracy. We don't trust each other because we haven't warranted that trust from one another. The only way we change the world is to stop that shit, start at home and start at work. It's like everything going on with race in this in, in this world. Well, you know, I see a lot of my friends posting a lot of stuff on Facebook and I admire it because awareness is everything. One, I can't empathize because I haven't had to deal with that in my life. And I'm embarrassed that I haven't the more I see it happening to my fellow humans. Hard time because people are people. Um, but if we really want to change it, here's my thing. I'm going to teach my kids that they never do that shit ever. And I want them to stick up to their friends to do that same bullshit. That's how we change the world. Making sure the next generation doesn't perform the same behaviors we have. And we have control over that. And we have it at home and we have it in the workplace. So I'm going to try and get as many people as I can in the workplace motivated and inspired to say you can be good and your company can be great. They do go together. And I'm going to take care of the four little people in my house. That's perfect. Yeah. And as we record this on tonight, you know, I heard it's been incredible to see the Milwaukee Bucks take the stand they did today and not playing. It's been great to see people finally saying, you know, enough is enough because it is enough and it's sickening what's gone on. And I heard today it was four years since Colin Kaepernick uh, kneeled to the day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I saw that on uh, Twitter, I think, today. You know, I think people miss the opportunity because it comes dressed as hard work, you know, and, and trust me, the protests are important. Your posts on Facebook and social media are important, but they don't have a legacy. Mm -hmm. They raise awareness, but your level of control is better suited to people you can influence and inspire to change that behavior. I would rather my friends teach their kids to be different than post about it 37 times this week. And I'm not saying don't post about it. We need to build awareness. It's unacceptable. Here I am talking about that. But start with what you can influence. It's all these little things will add up. Change the world in the eyes of a seven-year-old child now. 
And if we're all doing that, 14 years from now, who's running the world and what type of place is it? It can be done. People just don't believe in it, and it drives me nuts. Anyways, I'm off my soapbox. No, that was, that was good. And something a close friend of mine did when people were posting that Blackout Tuesday, you know, everyone was posting about it. But something I really respected that he did was the same day he bought five books, five books from Canadian black authors. He also then donated some money to, to the cause as well as decided to volunteer. So I really liked how he decided he was going to do some things different and not just post. And it doesn't mean you don't, if you only post, that's not important. Like I'm exactly. not suggesting yeah. that. Awareness Very is true. everything. Society saying we're not going to accept this anymore is important. But like get in your circle of influence and, and, and do the hard work behind the scenes that no one sees to create change. I'll tell you what I loved about my school, like my kids' school. They sent home when we were learning from home, when we were going through all of that, they sent home a package for us to try and explain to our children what racism was. And, you know, in a, in a, in a story that a child could read and understand and left the parents with exercises, teach their children how to deal with their peers when they perform that behavior. Those are the little things that aren't on someone's Facebook page. They're not on your Instagram post. They're happening in your kitchen, man. They're happening in your kitchen. It's how we change the world. Sorry, I just, it's crazy, man. It's just, it's got to change. It's disgusting. You're right. It can change. It's the theme at the end of the day of how we're treating each other. So when you hear exactly. me so passionate about the workplace, the hard job of a great leader is to get success while letting other people succeed by transferring their knowledge. But we're in this culture now that it's KPI, 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 but I'm not going to teach you how to do it. That's Just right. Get shit done because I'm going to find someone else who can do it. Exactly. Oh. But once I've transferred the skill, you're damn right. I'm going to hold you accountable to it. So that that's not negotiable. But I'm here. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to teach you. So it's just a theme I see going through society. We're more willing to put each other down than lift each other up. And we can have both. We can have success and be good people. 100%. Uh, with that, I know that you, when you went to the printing house and all the, and when I was speaking with you there and kind of all the roles you've taken since, I believe if I recall correctly, you always tried to find leadership or ownership that would allow you to bring up your employees with you, to build a team around you where you were going to help them get to that next step, where you were going to have success as a collective instead of just having that person below you get the job done so you look good. What are some of the things you went through when you changed from the printing house to, to Fusion to Dunsire? What were the things you were looking for and what were the things that were important for you as you as you made those changes? Yeah, great question. Uh, one of them's people, one of them's business. So I'll, I'll kind of give you a, two different filters on the move. So moving from the printing house to Fusion Homes, when I met with Lee Piccoli, the gentleman who owns it and CEO, is a brilliant leader and a great guy. What he opened up was he understood what I could do and he gave me carte blanche to go and drive a sales team. Put in the behaviors, put in the coaching that would allow the team to be successful and do it in my manner that would allow me to prove all this stuff, to prove that one-on-ones count, to prove that behavioral training counts, to put in the metrics to support that the behaviors are being done, to build a mystery shopping program, not to catch your people doing it wrong, but to recognize them when they're doing it right and give them an incentive for giving a great experience. All those things I saw in Lee from a business perspective. 
So that was one of the key reasons why I actually took a pay decrease and left one role behind at the printing house to go and do that. I won't speak too much on the printing house because, again, there were some great moments and there were some low moments. Let's just leave it at that. And and there were things I wasn't getting that I needed to get. It doesn't mean they were wrong. It just means they didn't align with me okay, and my leadership style. So Lee gave me that awesome guy, but I wanted to be a president. Like I wanted to be a president. And so, again, same thing. Okay, I started VP sales. He then gave me client services. He then gave me IT. We built the thing over six years. And it was time for me to move. I was at that inflection in my career where, you know, it starts to cause friction. I, I call myself like the six-year guy. Like it's the most I can last without growing or not having things change to what I believe in. And, and I don't hide from that. And, and so we were getting there. The beauty of Lee that will explain what a great person he is, we had that transparent conversation over six months and we tried to make it work. And it didn't. And I'd still go work for that guy again tomorrow. Awesome dude. But I went to the Dun- I went to Dunsire as the president, and I went there for one reason and one reason only. Well, two reasons. That's not fair. I was going to make myself sound a little more um, value-driven than it really was. I-, I went there, one, so I could learn the skill and run a company, and I wanted to prove what I'm talking about right now that I'm doing with my own organization, that you can build a successful people while building your people um, and taking that longer route. But quite frankly, like right behind it, I wanted to go work for Sean Keeper. And I would tell you that Lee's probably a better strategic leader, uh, maybe a more advanced businessman right now, just from the success of Fusion. Sean Keeper's just a great dude. He, he's just a guy who sincerely cares about his people and he wants to do well by them. Um, he's a very smart engineering guy, a very smart land assembly guy. So I knew I was going to learn those skills from him because that I didn't have at that point. So I had sales, marketing, customer service. But I had never done a land deal. I had never find financial investors. I didn't know how to do stacking on a deal of how much percent equity were we going to put in, which partners, A lenders, the bank at X percent. Do we have to close the gap with an equity partner? What's their return? What's our in? What's the waterfall on the way out? I didn't know any of that language or how to put a deal together. I knew I'd get that from Sean because he was very good at that. He did that at Mattamy, and that's where he was building his existing company on it. He saw that I could complement that on the sales, marketing, operations, and leadership perspective. So we were we were a pretty good match made in heaven for a little while, and then all this came along, and I left, and I didn't want to. I love Sean. I really do. But it forced me into a decision I've been sitting on the fence with for about a decade, which is doing this thing, because I had to pay bills. I was on a temporary leave, so a smaller company. The owner's been the president. I I always tell this story. When this started, Jordan, I, I stood up on my soapbox and I went on LinkedIn and I shared a video. Then I said, there's layoffs happening. I am the first to go. Sean, you've run this company for 10 years without me. You can save three or four jobs on my salary. I'm gone. Like literally the next day. <laughs> okay, I got bad news. <laughs> You're on the sidelines. <laughs> and off I went and he put me on temporary layoff. But it saved three jobs that were probably at that point more critical operationally because he could lead in the gap. And I was okay with that. But like anybody, I got bills to pay. And the longer it went, the more I knew, Mark, this has been eaten inside of you. You were probably going to do this as a retirement gig one day. Go get it now because you got to pay bills anyways. And so it got me off the fence. I wish there were more people like you. 
you saved three to four jobs and that that's cool. And you knew that you could probably do something on your own and jump off the fence, which you've done. But it hurt. Like, let's like when I tell that story, what I get worried about is people think, yeah, so what? He's a president. He's probably got a cottage, two boats and four cars. No, man, I'm in my line of credit. I'm a divorced dad, remarried. I got two houses. My older children are still in my life. I don't have a cottage. I can't even afford to go to the hotel because I've been four months without a pay. When he told me I was being laid off, I would have made the same move temporarily. It was a kick in the gut, just like anyone else would have gone through. But do I regret it? Absolutely not. Was it the right thing? Absolutely. And yes, to your point, do I have an easier path to rebound based on my career? Way more than someone who's just started a job making 60 to 65 grand a year. No, and I, I see that though. And you you see CEOs and executives taking pay cuts and different things like that. But you are seeing a lot of people, so many people getting let go that it's going to hit so hard. And obviously it hit hard for you. I don't know if you'd want to answer this, but is that the first time in your career that you were like restructured or let go? Yeah. And obviously went through other challenges throughout your career. But what was that like later in life to have that taken away from you? And, you know, like you said, you were a president, but you're like you said, you said you're divorced dad, you've got kids, you've got people to support. It's not like you've got tens of millions of dollars sitting and you're going to just go up to your cottage and chill out and play some golf and watch the Habs. Yeah, I still would have watched the Habs, but I would have brought up a six pack and a brown paper bag and a box of craft dinner. But that's not important right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was hard. I, I'll tell you, having a family adds to that stress. Being in the middle of a pandemic added to that stress. Like, yeah, I think I could land somewhere, but how hard is it going to be now? Um, and then ultimately, like if you're competitive by any means, you've lost. Like I wasn't good enough that someone thinks I could have pulled off the miracle. Even though I would have made the same business decision Sean made and I actually asked for it. You kind of think, oh, well, you know what? Maybe if he stuck me around for I'd find a new project. I'd find a way to make it all work. So there's that internal shit, this just happened to me. I'll tell you what, it gave me a lot of empathy for people I've let go in my past. And I think I've always done well with that and treating people well and explaining the fit gap and that you're going to land somewhere else where the needs are going to align perfectly with your skill set and, and trust in that. Um, because that's what's happened to me when I talk about the six-year thing, although I haven't been let go, if I stuck around another year, the owner or boss would want to get rid of me anyways, because I was being too much of a jackass because of what I believed in. And and I was too set in my ways. And if I would have gotten let go a year later, it would have been perfect for me because I no longer am a fit at that organization. I can still bring value to somewhere else where they need that skill. And that's the way people got to look at their career. It's just timing. It's a bad fit. If you're willing and you're a good person and you're willing to work hard and you have the skills, easy easier for me to say, but pick yourself up. Keep a good network as you go through your career so you have people to reach out to and soldier on and trust yourself and have full confidence. That, that's great. And I've, I've got two more questions I think that I want to close this out with. The first one is, tell me about this leap you made. And I know that you did, it looks like you did a little bit of freelancing in the past. And I could tell from some of your posts, you had thought about this for a long time. Tell me a bit about Mark Petapa business coaching 
and what you want to do with it. Where can people find you and where are you most active from a social standpoint or how, how can people reach you? Yeah, so I'll start with where to reach me. So I have a website. It's cheesy. It's my name. As I grow, we'll lose the name. We'll keep the logo, but it's it's recognition right now. So it's www.mark, M-A-R-C, Petipa, P-E-T-I-T-P-A-S. So that's Pitsipa in French, dot com. They, the reason I say go there, I'm very, I'm confident. I've never lacked confidence. I've also, through my years, become very aware of what I'm not good at. And I think it's only fair to tell people that story. So if you go to my site, you will be able to see the videos on my services of what I believe in and what I do. And I do those damn well. And I do them better than most leaders, if not the large majority of leaders, because I've worked for the best who taught me that and made me believe in it. And it's my responsibility to pass it on. I'll also tell you what I'm not good at. If you're looking for like someone to come in and do organizational development flow or you know, a little bit more of that specific process building, you'll notice there's none of that on my site. I had accountability as a president. I can take you through at a high level, but I'm not the guy you're going to reach out to do that. I know a bunch of great people I can put you in touch with. So that's where you kind of, you can find out what I'm doing and where. And if you find me on LinkedIn under the same name, I'm there all the time. I post way too much. It's annoying, but it's who I am. Can't, can't stop it. So what am I doing? Very core five services right now. So I'm going into organizations that are small and medium in nature, and I'm helping them with the discipline of strategic planning. How do they scale to the next level? How do you even build a plan? And more importantly, how do you engage your entire team? Make it stick, measure it, and do it in a servant leadership philosophy. So that's one. Number two, I'm going in and I can do functional training. Like I've built sales and marketing and operations and customer service training my entire career from scratch. Every organization I've gone to, I've left them with a gift and they've got it for legacy. So I can go in and I can build that for organizations and I'm doing that with clients as well. So predominantly strategic planning, functional training, behavior training that you can measure and a whole coaching program that goes with it. And then I've, I've gotten really pissed off about this servant leadership thing. And I'll tell you why. I love Simon Sinek. I love John Maxwell. I love Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard's view on it, if you look at his videos. But here's what none of them tell you. They don't tell you how to do it. So everybody thinks it's this soft, huggy thing that you can't measure. No, I, I am big on the philosophy that you have to serve in servant leadership, and that's the core value. But I can teach you the tools to put in place to make sure it happens so you can have an impact on your people and make sure it's working for your business. So I go in and do a five-anchor servant leadership training. I then do detailed coaching training. So I'm about to engage with one of Canada's largest companies, and we're doing something different. Where I've normally done a coaching program for the leaders, we're actually going to coach the coachee. So we're going to bring the employees coming in to get coached, and we're going to give them the mirrored training that the leader's coming in with, but how to approach it to open up the leader to get the development they need. And so to really improve the efficiency of the coaching session on both sides. It's literally what I've done my entire career by sitting in on my managers and directors and making sure they're taking care of our people and giving them feedback with the person in the room, but I've never formalized it. And so I was talking to this executive in this company because that's kind of what I need. And I said, I got it, man. Leave it with me. I'm going to build it. I'm going to bring it back to you because I know exactly how to do it. So we're working on that right now. I do public speaking. I mean, you can tell I like to talk. There's no doubt about it. I think over the years, I've become a better active listener, but I certainly love to share a message. 
Um, and usually it's about sales or servant leadership. Um, so coaching, servant leadership, strategic planning, speaking, what is, the, oh, and then the specific um, functional training for sales and marketing. So that's what I'm doing. Here's my goal. And then I'm going to really try and finish this answer. Lisa Larder, when I started it as Mark Benapal Business Coaching, she said, lose business coaching. And I said, why? She goes, because that's not who you're going to be. By the time you're done with this, as you grow this business, you are going to hire people that have functional expertise in businesses that you don't have, and they're going to get your stamp of approval because you don't mess around. If they don't know how to treat a customer or an employee, they're not getting into your brand. What you're going to be able to sell is Mark Pettipal Consulting Services. You're going to eventually be able to lose Mark Pettipal, and you're going to have this logo group, and you're going to have partners, and companies are going to think of you first whenever they have a gap. As long as you keep hiring people that have the same passion and skill that you have in the areas that you're knowledgeable and scale that, that's who you're going to be. Damn, Skippy, that's who I'm going to be. Thank you for doing my vision statement. <laughs> but she's that's right. Perfect. She knows me well enough. And, and that's what the market needs. Like You can go to Deloitte and they have specific areas where they can help you. And you can go to some of the coaching firms like Action Coach, which is a great company. Now they're in Canada. But no one's giving you the whole thing. You can't go to someone and say, I need a company that can run in parallel. And when there's a gap, I'll call them. They'll help me fill the gap and create the legacy. That's what I want to create. Well, and I think you're well on your way. And your passion and anyone who is looking for, you know, a guy that can galvanize a team and is a leader and is authentic. Um, I've known you to be that guy. So I, I wish Thanks, you the man. best of success. And I think you are going to be very successful with that. The last serious question I got, and then I got a fun one for you, is you've always done things that I think are truly authentic to you, whether it's you doing this World Ball Hockey Championship and posting about it. I think it was your socks you were posting about. <laughs> yeah. um, cooking with Mark. You have this skill that I think people could learn from of like not taking yourself too seriously life's too short and not judging yourself. What do you have to say to that? Like, how, how do you get that within yourself? And, and what's your advice to other people that just want to be who they are? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Because if, if I wanted someone to summarize who I try to be, that's it. Like, I'm just trying to be myself. So thank you for, for recognizing that. Um, you know, I never think about a post which my mentors kind of remind me about once in a while. We're talking about mentors, right? But that's me. You know, you know what you're going to get. So what I would tell you is I wouldn't feel that comfortable doing it as I was coming up in my career, right? So now I've gotten to a stage where I know, yeah, I can tease and I can have some fun. But when I'm on your boardroom, I'm going to show you what the, I know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm going to put a plan in place. And you're going to leave that room going, hey, I got to work with this guy. So I, so I have that confidence because I've gained that over the years where I'm not worried about the people who know me and trust me and know what it's like to work with me thinking I was a little bit of a goof on that post. That, that takes years to build that confidence. And quite frankly, if you're not going to work with me with the talent I can bring and cooperating with your team because you don't like what I posted about with sports or, or whatever, um, I, don't, I don't want that business anyways. You know, I, I want to work with good people who see value in what I do and I respect them and see value there. And so if you're the type of person who's going to say, Oh, well, you know what? He posted that thing about cooking on the weekend. He can't be serious about business. No, no offense. Don't take it the wrong way. Good, you're, you, you have your stance. I'll have mine. We probably wouldn't get along anyways, right? Like, it's, it's just me. I, you can't be everything to everyone. 
So, so clearly demonstrate who you are as an individual. Speak up loudly of where you're strong and you can help. Speak up loudly of where you can't. And speak up loudly of where you want to learn. If you do those things and keep it simple, there's room in the world for a guy who can do five things really well. And be yourself. Look at Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs wasn't admired by everyone. He he could be a bit of a dick if you read the stories. But, but man, the guy was brilliant and he changed the world. It's so did, true. Did he, did he stop every time to make sure, oh my God, I'm at a conference and I'm wearing a black turtleneck and jeans. That might upset the board. No, he was brilliant at what he did. He was passionate and he had his faults. It's so, so true. Don't it's we so all? true. Yeah, and you can't, you can't. It's taken me a long time to realize you can't be everything to everyone. Um, so, Mark Pettipaw, I want to thank you. Thanks for doing this. It's been amazing. Uh, I really do want to grab a beer in person, maybe socially distance when we can. Uh, I'm going to leave you th with this question, but thanks for all your time. If uh, you were GM of the Habs and you've got an opportunity to trade for Tavares and you've got to give up Shea Weber, do you put a deal together or do you keep Weber on the blue line? <laughs> I, I got to tell you from this playoff season, I'm really starting to admire our defensive core. Um, and I think we're closer. Maybe it's just the Habs fan in me. I think we're closer than we think we are. I think we're going to get that offense from guys like Kakanyemi and Suzuki over the next few years. I wouldn't move Weber for anyone right now. And I know he's old, and, but you, you, you always see those championships teams having an anchor. Um, and for me, he's one of those, him and Petrie and now Kulak coming along. I like our defense. I wouldn't ruffle the waters at all. I'll give Tampa Bay Droy back if they'll give us Sergachev in a heartbeat. <laughs> but I wouldn't yeah, move yeah. Weber for Tavares. And I like Johnny T. I think he's a talent. That's the thing with Toronto. I'm not a Toronto hater. Just to be clear, like I'm not that Montreal fan that hates the Leafs. If Montreal's out, go get them, Toronto. I'm rooting for you because I was exposed to their fans for six years, and they're extremely loyal. I want to see them win. Having said that, they don't have the character on the back end. Like, How do you have that much talent offensively and not find a way to get past the first round? It's crazy. And and I'm not a Toronto hater either. I my cousins love the team and I root for them as well cuz I'm in Toronto and but I agree with you Weber and the grit our defense showed was just unbelievable. But uh yeah, thanks for so much for doing this and you guys got to check out Mark at markpetapod.com and uh let's chat soon. Awesome. Hey Jordan, that was great. Thank you, man. I really yeah. really appreciate it. There you have it. Thanks for checking out It's Not a Straight Line. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and if you can, leave me a review, provide me some feedback, and I wish you all the best as you find your way in your career and life.